Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. As you do when you come to anniversaries, you kind of reflect back on years gone by, good things, bad things, and um, when I start to think about vacations, I'm like, it's hard for me to pick my favorite one, but I can recall a lot where things went wrong. I don't know if you can remember those in your vacations, you know, where things didn't go as planned, and we had one like that a couple years ago. It was September, it was over 100 degrees, and we're like all wondering when is summer gonna be over, kind of like right now, right? Like, And it had been a long summer, we hadn't taken any vacations, and my parents um, had rented a beach house and they invited us to come out, and so I was like, yes, like I need a vacation. So we packed up the kids, drove to Southern California, had a really fun couple hours on the 405, which was awesome. I don't know if you've ever done that, it really blesses you, it's awesome. <laughs> Uh, and finally made it to our destination. I can just remember pulling up to this house on the beach thinking, like, I need a vacation so bad. Like, I just can't wait to smell that ocean air and just be here and relax. And we walk in the door and everyone's saying their hellos. And as I'm hugging my mom, the first words out of my mouth to her were, something smells weird in this house. And she was like, it's, you know, it's like the ocean air. It's an old house. It's a little musty. It's no big deal. And I was like, okay, but something smells weird. And I'm one of those people that when I walk in any room, I'm like finding the weird smell. So I go to bed that night. I wake up, and I'm still smelling this weird smell. And I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. So I sent Brad to the store to buy a vanilla candle because I'm like, maybe that will take care of it. And it just seemed like with every hour, the smell just began to permeate the house even more. And... We sprayed air freshener, and then a couple days go by, and my mom and I are like throwing lemons down the garbage disposal. We're just like, what is the smell? It's starting to ruin my vacation at this point, but I'm just living with it. And on day five, five days into this vacation, we had some friends over, and we were all cooking in the kitchen. And I said to my girlfriend, I said, I am so sorry. This house has just like this weird smell, and I'm sorry. And she goes, oh, that's not this house. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, I know that smell that's the smell of a dead rat. And I said, you're lying. And she goes, no, no, I know that smell. She bends down, she opens up the cupboard underneath the sink, and sure enough, right there was a decaying rat in a trap that I don't know how long it had been there, but we had been living with it for five days in the place that we prepare our food. And I was so grossed down. I'm like, call the guys in, get this thing out of here. And sure enough, as soon as we got the rat out, the smell was gone and we're able to enjoy the last 24 hours of our vacation. It's awesome. Um, But the Lord used that lesson to really speak something to me in my life in different seasons. And I believe he wants to speak it to you and all of us today. And that is this, what we allow in our lives will continue. You see, we all have cycles that we go through, habits, mindsets, things that we allow in our lives, and maybe it's because we're tired, maybe we've had a long run, or we've been facing some hard things and we just are too tired to fight, so we let it go on. We sedate it, we push it away, we light a candle, spray a little air freshener over it, and just kind of hope that it leaves. But the reality is that those cycles will continue to repeat as long as we tolerate things in our lives. And so I hope you're ready to have your toes stepped on just a little bit because um, that's going to happen. Sorry. Um, It's only because my toes got stepped on this week as the Lord kind of reminded me of these things once again. And so the message title this weekend is Zero Tolerance. Everyone say Zero Tolerance. tolerance. And we're going to start in Numbers chapter 33. 
And if you have your Bible, turn there. If not, it's in your notes in front of you. But here in this passage, we have Moses. And he has, um, the Lord has led them out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses is preparing the children of Israel to head into the promised land. They know there's battles ahead, but the Lord has promised to give them victory over those battles. And But Moses is giving them this final warning. He says this in verse 51. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you cross the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, you must drive out all of the people living there. You must destroy all of their carved and molten images and demolish all of their pagan shrines. Take possession of the land and settle in it because I have given it to you to occupy. Verse 55. But if you fail to drive out the people who live in the land, those who remain will be like splinters in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you live. Moses is letting them know, God's going to lead you into the promised land. He's going to give you victory. But there is a difference between entering the promised land and possessing it and occupying it. And in order to possess this land, you're going to have to drive out completely the enemy in your territory. So... In Judges chapter 1, we see what happens. Verse 19, the Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. Verse 21, the tribe of Benjamin, however, failed to drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. Verse 27, the tribe of Manasseh failed to drive out the people living in Bethshon, Tanak, Dor, Ibleam, Megiddo, and all the surrounding settlements because the Canaanites were determined to stay in that region. When the Israelites grew stronger, they forced the Canaanites to work as slaves, but they never did drive them completely out of the land. They never drove them completely out. And notice how it says that the Canaanites were determined to stay in the land. And I'm sure the Israelites were tired. There were over 31 battles that they faced as they walked in to the promised land. But I think at some point they had to say, you know, it's not a big deal. We're going to let them stay over here in the corner. They're not bothering anybody. It's fine. We'll light a candle, spray a little air freshener. It's no big deal. But exactly what Moses told them happened. Those enemies were not content to stay in the corner. In fact, all through the book of Judges, we see cycle after cycle where the Israelites fall into the pagan practices. The enemy moved in. They adopted their their culture and their habits. They married their people. They forgot the promises of God and the law of God. And they found themselves, the Bible says, ruthlessly oppressed by their enemies. And so then God would come in in his graciousness. He would bring a judge to lead the people of Israel into battle, conquer their enemy once again. And then what would happen? They'd fall right back into this cycle. They never did possess the land. In fact, they didn't possess Jerusalem for over 200 years until King David came and took Jerusalem. They did. They finally possess the land. Hundreds of years of this cycle repeating itself over and over in their life. Why? Because what we tolerate will continue. And it's true for the children of Israel, and I want you to know that the enemy's lies and his tactics have, on, have not changed. It's true for you and I today. It's true in our lives. And the Bible tells us that Jesus came, and he said, I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. And the Greek word there for life is zoe life, which means the God kind of life. God has desired to give us a quality of life that he has. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, meaning the work that I came to do to provide a way for you to have the God kind of life, I finished that work. 
I've brought you into the promised land, and now we, as believers, when we believe in Jesus, must possess that land, and that means we have to drive out the enemy. And make no mistake that there is an enemy. And the Bible tells us he's not content to stay in a corner with a lit candle. In fact, his plans for you and for me are to steal, kill, and destroy. And so you and I must have a holy, I don't know what, that rises up on the inside of us to say we're going to have a zero-tolerance policy for the enemy's works and scheme in our lives. Because when we tolerate the enemy today, he will attempt to torture us tomorrow. He won't be content to stay in the corner. He won't just live peaceably and coexist with us. He has a plan, he has intentions, and he desires to take you and I and the plans and purposes that God has for us completely out. So we have to rise up with intention and say we have a zero tolerance for the work of the enemy in our lives. And so as we look today, we're going to look at three things that I think, and you'll see them in your notes, they're like cultural norms, like things that we have um, just come to see as normal, come to be okay with, things that we've let live in our lives, things that Jesus paid the price for us to experience freedom from. And, and we've come to accept them, we kind of let them live in our life, we allow them and we coexist with them. And so the first one is this, worry. We have to have a zero tolerance mindset when it comes to worry. And worry has literally become a norm in our society. It's totally normal for us just to worry about things. In fact, studies show that 95% of North Americans, that's you and I, when we go to bed or when we wake up in the morning, we're worrying. And Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 25. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't even have Uber Eats. I don't think that's in there, but I'm just saying. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add up to a single moment in your life. Isaiah 41.10 says this, so don't worry because I am with you. Don't be afraid because I am your God. I will make you strong and I will help you. I will support you with my right hand that saves you. 95% of us go to bed and wake up worrying. 40% of what you and I worry about, 40% will never happen. Studies are shown 40% of what we worry about never going to happen. 30% of what we worry about has already happened. Already happened. 12% of what we worry about are like health scare type things where you get a headache and you Google it and suddenly you're dying in two weeks. No, one's, no one else, just me? Okay. 10% of what we worry about are just like insignificant things like where we're going to go for dinner or what we're going to do here or there. So that, if you're adding it up, is 92% of the things that you and I worry about are nonsense, never going to happen, already happened. They're not adding a single bit to our lives, and yet 95% of us are waking up and going to sleep, living with the enemy, sleeping with the enemy, and saying, it's okay, it's just a part of life, we worry. What about the other 8%, like the things of legit concerns, things that actually, you know, might happen, real things that we could be worried about? Well, this is what Jesus says in John 16, I have told you all of this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Thank you, Jesus. But take heart because I have overcome the world. 
More than any other command in scripture, we're told not to fear. So we're not to fear of the 92% of things that will really aren't worth worrying about. And we're not to fear over the 8% of legit worrisome things because he's with us. He's promised to be with us, to walk with us. The Bible tells us he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We don't have to live with worry. We don't have to tolerate it. We don't have to accept any dead rat in our lives. We don't. You know, the FDA has this thing which I find really repulsive. It's called um, the Detective Levels Handbook. I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but it's where, like, certain amounts of disgusting things are allowed in our food, just like trace amounts of maggots, rat hair, mouse poop. There's like acceptable levels of those things that are allowed in the food that we eat every single day. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to grow a farm and have Pastor Matt grow my farm actually, because I couldn't grow a farm if I tried, and just eat only my food. And so that grosses me out, and yet I am willing to settle for trace amounts of the enemy's work in my life. Am I okay with just a little bit of fear and a little bit of anxiety when Jesus paid the price for you and I to live in the land of promise? All of God's promises are yes and amen, and I'm okay to tolerate the enemy's work in my life. How much dead rat are you willing to live with in your life? The answer for you and I has to be zero. He's called us to live free from worry. And really, worry is just rooted in fear and control. Fear and control. And control, I'm sorry to tell you, is just an illusion. Like, we can control ourselves. The Bible calls us to self-control. But anything control I think I have over my husband or my kids or my boss is, is an illusion. I don't have control. In fact, nothing shows you that more than when you teach a teenager how to drive. Like, you're, I don't know how many times my life flashed before my eyes. And then when she got her license, I'm thinking, oh, dear God. Worry came in like a force. I'm thinking about her ability to drive. I'm thinking about all of you texting while you're driving, the 101. I am just like plagued with worry. And technology doesn't help because now I can just trace her and just refresh on my phone. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, all right, she made it to the shay. You know, she's turning. I mean, worry came in. And I had to arrest that in my life and say, God, I refuse to worry. And he said to me, Noel, she's not yours anyway. I've given her to you for a time to steward, but you have no control. And parents, I want to speak to you today because I know the minute that pregnancy test comes with two pink lines, the enemy comes with bags of worry to worry if you're given the right formula. If you do. I mean, worry comes. But guess what? God loves our kids more than we do. He's pursuing them passionately and he's reaching parts of their heart we could never do. And any control that we have or we think we have is merely an illusion. Worry allows the enemy to come in and take root in our lives. And worry is just a result of misplaced or an unknown source. Here's the truth. If I'm constantly plagued with worry, I have put my source of my peace in the wrong thing. My bank account the way my business is doing, the economy, politics, my control, the outcome of things. If my peace is found in anything other than him, I, it will lead to worry. It will lead to fear. It will lead to, lead to anxiety. So we have to expose the rat and anchor our peace to him and him alone. And if you're trying to do that and you come to a situation where fear and worry just keep coming, the second thing we need to do is get to know our source a little bit better. 
It's one thing for me to say, hey, you just need to trust God. No big deal, just trust God. If you're having a hard time trusting God, the best way to get more trust, fix your truster, is to know the character of God. Recall the times that he has come through and been faithful to you. Recall the situations where you thought you were counted out and it was over, and here you are standing because God is faithful. He is trustworthy. And the more that we put our anchor and our hope in the fact that he's trustworthy and get to know his heart, it's so much easier to trust. It's a response to who he is. In that same passage of Matthew that we read earlier, here's the message version. I love the way it says it. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. So let's get to know him. Put our trust and our source in him. Philippians 4, 6 to 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Our peace is found in properly placed trust. So we must have a zero tolerance for the work of the enemy and really not choose to not live and allow fear to come in our lives in any way through worry. So... Worries, number one. The second one, just a commonly acceptable rat in our lives is the rat of unforgiveness. And all throughout scripture, Jesus talks a lot about about forgiving people. I think the reason that he does that is because he knows how broken you and I are. And he knows that hurt people hurt people. In fact, in one passage, he says, hey, offenses are going to come. And if you've ever driven on the 101 freeway, you know, like, you're going to get an opportunity in this life to be offended time and time again. And yet every single time, Jesus commands us to forgive. And what we must understand is forgiveness, he's calling us to forgiveness, but it's not just so you and I can be good people. Jesus calls us to forgiveness because that's how we become free people. Unforgiveness in our lives opens the door to the enemy. It does. It allows the enemy to work in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church, and they've been having issues with someone, and he's been causing some problems, and Paul says this, The focus of my letter wasn't on punishing the offender, but on getting you to take responsibility for the health of the church. So, if you forgive him, I forgive him. Don't think I'm carrying around a list of personal grudges. The fact is that I'm joining with you in your forgiveness as Christ is with us, guiding us. After all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. Unforgiveness opens the door to the enemy's work in our lives. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, And don't let sin by letting, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Unforgiveness is a breeding ground for resentment. And resentment opens the door to the enemy's work in our lives. I love what Henry Cloud says. He says this, To forgive others means letting them off the hook or canceling a debt that they owe you. When you forgive, refuse to forgive someone, you still want something from that person. And even what, if what you want is revenge, it keeps you tied to that person forever. And so here we have so many of us handcuffed to these hurts and these pains and these people that have offended us, and we're carrying them, dragging them into every relationship we step into, every church we start going to, whatever the hurt, whatever the pain, until we have forgiveness, we haven't been released. 
And so we drag, drag them along with us. Forgiveness isn't about being good, it's about being free. Proverbs 18, 19 says this, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate with locked bars. Unforgiveness in our lives will build walls that isolate us and make us an easy target for the enemy. That's his plan. If you can, if you can have hurt in this situation and bring hurt in that situation, you're going to have walls that are going to keep you isolated and he can come after you and wreak havoc in your life. But in our culture, it's acceptable. It's totally acceptable to walk around with offense. In fact, 62% of Americans say that you shouldn't forgive unless the person who offended you is remorseful. But as believers, we're called to forgiveness. And forgiveness is a response. And it's not a response to the things that have been done to us. It's a response to the forgiveness that we have been extended to by Jesus Christ. Listen to this, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God, forgave you. Our forgiveness is a response to his forgiveness to us. And I'm definitely not saying it's easy. If I were to put the microphone up here and invite an open mic night for all the things that have been done to us, we'd be here for weeks. And the things that have happened to you and you and me, we could tell stories that would leave us all just devastated with real hurt and real pain. And I think when Jesus calls us to forgive, he's not minimizing that pain or excusing it away. But he is saying when we carry that unforgiveness, we will open the door to the work of the enemy in our lives and that brokenness and that cycle will continue. Some of you, the abuse and the pain that you experienced was because someone else was unable to forgive someone that hurt them. And if you carry that unforgiveness with you, you will perpetuate the cycle on and on. We have to have a zero tolerance policy for the work of the enemy in our life. And that means when it's exposed, when we see that rat for what it is, what do we have to do? Does that mean I can just pat answer, oh, I forgive you, that's it, just wipe it away? No, that's not it at all. It's going to be hard work. There's grief work that may have to be done. You may have to go to a counselor. I don't know what you're going to have to do. You may have to have some tough conversations but it's you and I standing up and saying, I'm unwilling to continue on with this in my life. I'm not going to spray it or sugarcoat it or pretend it doesn't exist. I'm going to address it. I'm going to refuse to tolerate it. And I'm going to eliminate it. If we want to possess the promised land, God's promises in our lives, we have to have a zero tolerance policy for the enemy's work in any way, in any place. And that includes unforgiveness. What we tolerate will continue. How much dead rat are you willing to live with in your life? Like, I don't want to come to your house if it's a lot. I can tell you that much. The third thing, and this one really is going to step on your toes. I'm sorry, but super stepped on mine, is busyness. I know it's going to get really quiet in here because busyness is probably the most acceptable cultural norm that we have right now. Like, never in history have we been more overscheduled, more, more overstressed, more overworked, and it is literally celebrated in our society. Like, how are you? Oh, I'm busy. Yeah, everything's busy. It's great. But when we look at the life of Jesus, I don't see a busy life. I see a full life. I see a purposeful life. I see a fruitful life, but I don't see a busy life. In fact, 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened from your work and cares, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble-hearted, and you will find rest from your souls. Jesus never lived a busy life, and he doesn't call us to do the same. In fact, in John 5, 19, he said, I only do what I see my Father doing. And we see him time and time again getting away from the crowds, taking time to rest. We see him going off to make sure he got, got prayed with his disciples, spent time with his friends, ate. Jesus lived from a place of rest and ministered from a place of rest. He didn't wake up with a shirt that was like, rise and grind, time to get that hustle. But, like, we celebrate that. He was purposeful. He was fruitful. He had a significant life, but he did not live a busy life. We are designed by God to work from rest and not for rest. Think about this. The idea of Sabbath, taking that seventh day to rest, started not with the Israelites. God didn't give it to the Hebrew people. He started it at creation. He spent six days speaking the world into existence. And then on the sixth day, he creates his crowning creation, man and woman, in his own image. And then he rests. So what does that mean? On man's first day of life, it was a day of rest. You and I are designed to live from a place of rest. Why? Because when we live from a place of rest and we understand that that's how God designed us, we are purposeful in the things we do. We put the priorities in the place that they need to be in. How many marriages are lost? Relationships are broken. Sickness is in the world. How, how much of it exists? Because you and I cram our schedules and our lives so full. We're constantly living in a reactionary state. Because busy is normal. Busy is acceptable. Busy is it's just what we do. We're called to live lives of fruitfulness purposefulness, but not busyness. And here's the thing, Isaiah 58, 13. I love this. It says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. That's what happens when we live from a place of rest. He causes our hands, everything we touch to prosper. He causes us to be blessed. It's not our hustle. It's not our grind. It's not what we can produce by our own hand. It's what he can do with six days when we give him what he asks for. Living from a place of rest. I don't know about you, but the first time I heard someone talk about this, it sounded magical. I was like, what? Like people spend a whole day just resting? And he, he described it in detail, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. If we delight in what God calls us to do, we can live from a place of purpose. But rest requires that we relinquish control. Once again, control. Why does it always come back to that? I don't know. But we think that if we can have our hands and our fingers on all of the things and all of the plates that are spinning, that we can control the outcomes. We're not that important. Like, we're not. I go to bed at night, you go to bed at night, and the earth still spins on its axis. And when we take the time to stop, put God in his rightful place, we're reminded 
that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and the things that he's called you to do, the dreams that he's placed in your heart aren't going to happen because you work in the arm of the flesh to make them happen. In fact, any platform that you work in the arm of the flesh to build, you will have to sustain by your own strength. We're called to live lives of purpose, significance, fruitfulness, but not busyness. How much dead rat are we willing to live with? I hope this image just stays with you all day and you're gonna like, thanks a lot. How much dead rat? But seriously, some of us are so exhausted, burned out, ready to quit, give up. Suicide is plaguing our society. And so much of it comes from, from us not stopping to know that we're sick, we're broken, we're hurt, we've got unforgiveness, we're fearful. But we have tolerated the enemy. And we know what to do when the big problems come. Like, we know how to call the prayer chain and get the warriors in place. And if you were raised in church like me, like, you get the armor on and you get your sword of the spirit and you are ready to take out the enemy. But why do we tolerate him just living in the corner, allowing these things that seem so simple, so small, so insignificant, just a little worry? Just, it's okay, everybody. It's part of life. I'm responsible. But are you responsible? We have to have a zero tolerance for any scheme of the enemy's tricks in our lives because he will not be content to stay there. He will not stop until he will steal, kill, and destroy our purpose, our peace, our passion, and wreak total havoc in every area of our lives. That's his intention. And I'm unwilling to let him to continue. I'm unwilling to tolerate him in my life anymore. My prayer for us is, number one, that we know that Jesus paid the price for us to live in victory. He won the battle. It's already been won, done. Some of you need to know that. We don't have to win the battle. He goes before us and he fights the battle. In fact, Colossians 2 verse 14 says this, when you were stuck in your old sin dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all of the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. That's the victory that he paid the price for you and I to have. And so we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. And like we sang today, he gave us the name above every name. so that you and I could possess the promises of God, but we cannot possess them if we're tolerating his work in our lives. So today is number one, a reminder that you have the victory and hopefully you are inspired like me to expose the rats in your life and the places and the crevices and turn over the furniture and look under the sink and find any trace amounts of his work in our lives and let a holy discontent rise up on the inside of us. And what, what would happen if as a church, we collectively came together and said, we have a zero tolerance for the enemy's work in our lives? Imagine that. Imagine this place would be a safe haven for our entire community to run to if the cycles in our own lives were broken. And I, like I said, I'm only talking to you out of the reality of what he's been speaking to me. 
There's no condemnation. In fact, Jesus is pleading with us. Don't let this exist in your life. Not because you're a bad person, because I want you to be free. I paid the price. I gave my life so that you could stand in freedom and obtain every promise that I paid for you to have. And I'm not willing to let one drop of his blood go. I want it all. I want the promises of God in my life and I want them for you. And so we have to rise up with almost like this brave heart attitude of like, we are gonna leave this place and go ransack our communities and our homes and kick him out where he's taken, because he's not gonna go easily. Like he's not gonna show up to your house with a sign that says, hey, I came to steal, kill and destroy. You wanna let me in? No. We slam the door in his face, he comes subtly. We've gotta expose him and drive him out in the name of Jesus, with the authority of Jesus and with the power of Jesus. So in this moment, I'd love for you just to close your eyes. And you have your notes there. And as you just close your eyes, I want you to let the Lord speak to your heart. Are there areas of your life that you are tolerating the work of the enemy? Are you okay with just a little bit of anxiety creeping in? And I'm not saying the answer is going to be easy. What I'm saying is when we walk out these doors, we're committed to doing whatever it takes. So that may mean you need to go see a counselor. That may mean you need to change career paths. That may mean you need to to walk away from some things or say no to some hard things. You're not gonna walk out of here and never worry again just because I said don't worry. If that worked, you would have stopped at the last message you heard that told you not to worry. We have to be unwilling and relentless because our enemy is ruthless. And we have to say, whatever it takes, I'm gonna do it. And in fact, if you're dealing with some hard things and maybe things that are big and hard and it's not just a pat answer, just let's forgive. We have some resources for you. If you go to gatewaylife.com forward slash care, you can come and you can get counseling. We have resources that we can give you to help you grieve. We can point you in the direction, but we have to be unwilling. And so even now as as the Lord speaks to your heart, write those areas down. Put them in your notes. When you walk out this door, do something about it. Take action. Some of you are going to have to take massive action. But we have to have a zero tolerance for the enemy's work in our lives. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.